Welcome to Bite the Orange. Through our conversations, we create a roadmap for the future of health with the most impactful leaders in the space. This is your host, Dr. Manny Fumble. Let's make the future of healthcare a reality together. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, uh, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Bite the Orange, where today we have a great individual and someone with an incredible background, a great bio, and has been an influencer in this particular space for a very long time. And so today I am with Denise Silber. Uh, Denise, thank you for joining us today. Um, thank you very much, Manny, for inviting me. I'm delighted. Thank you. I know you have an incredible background and bio, so please uh, let our audience know about you. So um, tell us about yourself. So I'm usually known for my interest in digital health. I'm a digital health uh, expert with two businesses. One is Basil Strategies, um, which houses my activities regarding communication about digital health. And the other is VR for Health, which is focused on making the world of therapeutic virtual reality better known. My background is that I'm uh, I'm uh, the American in Paris or the ex-New Yorker in Paris. I have adopted this country and have lived at length in, in both the US and France and as well Switzerland and, and Mexico. I started my career in the pharmaceutical industry. I switched to uh, to communication at one point in order to be an entrepreneur, to run my own company. And I've always worked to try to improve the information and communication that is out there so that healthcare can be a better place for professionals and patients. There is so much untapped potential, and in particular in the digital health field, and also through um, patient engagement. And that is why those are two of my focus areas with this communication, whether it's written, events, the information platform that is VR for Health. Thank you very much. And, and that's very interesting. And uh, because of that piece, I would like to actually focus on an initial question of what got you interested in digital health or health in the first place, right? I mean, you could have done one, several other industries. It's a big challenge in healthcare piece, but what's your why? What gets you passionate about digital health? My why uh, uh, took a number of years to really come together. I was um, very much aware when I was in the pharmaceutical industry of the fact that physicians did not have um, precise and, and similar answers to same questions. Um, that with one particular case, you could get a variety of opinions, even a simplish case and a variety of approaches and um, and this was true in the people I knew around me, that if you had an in into a hospital, you might get the leading expert. And if you didn't, you were stuck with something much less good. I saw how complex medicine was through the work uh, that I did in, uh, in industry on multiple areas, multiple disease areas. And I was there 25 years ago when the Internet was well, when the web was born with the first browsers, I accessed PubMed or Medline and realized, oh my gosh, this is going to change everything. Physicians, the ordinary physician, the ordinary patient will be able to get on there and get information that up until now was totally inaccessible to them. And I thought that there would be a shift in the reach 
of people who aren't necessarily the, the academics or near the source of information. I had no idea how long that was going to take, that there is still resistance today. And I have followed every trend. Now, I had to turn this into a business activity, this interest. So we did lots of, with my communications agency, we did lots of training. I then joined, um, and we built webs, we built some of the early websites. Um, at one point, I joined forces with a, a classmate from Harvard Business School who had created one of the earliest second medical opinion companies. And um, we saw by calling upon Cleveland Clinic, Duke, Johns Hopkins, Mass General, um, the, the expertise that these establishments could bring to a case. But at the time, the cost was just way too high. The, the, the cost of the bandwidth of sending the images around, the cost of contacting these people in a world that was still primarily paper. And um, another big step for me was to be able to get the word out through events. So for a number of years, I ran a, a big event called Doctors 2.0 to give patients their first opportunity to be keynote speakers if they'd created innovations, to give startups an opportunity to, uh, to pitch um, and to present just fabulous things in digital health from around the world. So I've, I've really had a, a frontline seat through all of these activities on digital healthcare innovation in all of its forms with every wave as it comes along. And and that's quite an incredible uh, your, your experience piece. And I would like to actually dive a little bit further into. I mean, you have experience living, uh, like in Mexico, for example, and living in the U.S. and living in, in France. Uh, I was most recently in Paris. Like uh, I think I mentioned that to you earlier before we got on air. Uh, and the healthcare system is completely different uh, the way it is. And so I think you have that front seat of being a, the ability to you know being a New Yorker, living in the U.S. and living in France, for example. Tell me something that's like that is uh, probably good or bad about both systems, right? And what is, what's your experience around that, and how does that influence innovation? Uh, because I know a lot of French companies, uh, you know, coming to the U.S. for business, for example, right? And there are many American companies that probably want to go into France. So how do and you have that front seat that most people might not might not understand? Right. Well, it, it's interesting that the problems are are the opportunities and problems are are similar. Obviously, the United States has. Um, spending such a higher percent of, of GDP on healthcare, there is much more money available um, to attempt to integrate these innovations. But that doesn't mean that it necessarily happens. Uh, I can give an example that at a leading hospital in California, they've been doing the research on the use of virtual reality during childbirth. And it is demonstrably effective that the mother can wear a headset um, for the, the, the labor period, the beginning of, of um, actually the delivery, if she so chooses, and um, will have a significantly better time with less or perhaps no use of local anesthesia. That same hospital does not have a protocol yet for giving that outside of its research. So you would you would think that they would say, hey, you know, we've got, I don't know, 100 people who've already benefited from it. Can't we do it? No, it's complicated to change the process in the hospital. Um, in, um, in France, I know a, a young guy who used to be a, an Air Force pilot. His father was a professor in the field of diabetes. And he, with another person, created a company to help uh, with gestational diabetes by creating a personal, a professional health record connecting 
the individual and their doctor in the hospital with all the data that they need to follow on them. And they've gotten very far. They've gotten this to be active in, in a great percentage, a majority of French hospitals. So now maybe those are two exceptions in both cases, but I don't think so. They, they show that it's hit and miss when you have a good innovation, the challenge becomes to integrate it into a system that wasn't made for it. How the system in France, like from a healthcare uh, perspective, I, I, do you have? A, I know it's a single payer kind of system, right? Uh, across yes. Europe, is it similar to like the NHS in the UK? Uh, well, it's a little system? bit different from that, okay. and and both are are misnomers because while the NHS is a single payer, so you'd think all I have to do is find the person and I'm in, I'm into all. Nope, not at all. First of all, um, there's England separate from Scotland, separate from Wales, and I guess Northern Ireland, so that's already. And then you have to sell your thing into every, um, I'm not sure what the right geographic word is, but let's say every district. There's a a unit size that can make a decision for itself. And just because A has it, you got to start again with B. So um, the the vendors and the professionals complain about that. On the other hand, in France, it's true that there's a two-tier level in that you could have the approval, you know, it's um, the the product has its authorization as a device and it's got its reimbursement. That doesn't mean that the hospital is then going to say, you know, give me six of those. You, You then have to get them to want to need it and to know how to integrate it. And I was just interviewing a hematologist Uh, very recently, who said that um, the problem is not the hematologists. They're all very much in in France. They're all very much in favor of this. And the problem is not even the hospital. The problem is that they're stuck in these legacy systems that even when they have the budget, even when the budget is available nationally, that you have to do is fill in a, a request and send it and say, we need this. It's just a big cog and a big wheel to to change everything. Correct. And that's uh, what we're trying to change with this podcast piece. And that's the reason why to to highlight some of this, uh, <laughs> the challenges that we face. Right. And and a lot of times it's just bureaucracy. It's just people not trying to change the way they do things um, in general. And sometimes also awareness. People are not aware of what is available and what the outcomes could be from this. But with that being said, I'm very interested about your VR for health uh, piece of it. So that's something you're working on now. So what got you interested in VR? I'm a big fan of VR, by the way, uh, <laughs> a piece of it. And I think that there's a lot of uh, things that you could do in, from a behavior perspective or things you could do to change, uh, improve uh, quality of life for patients. So, so tell me about what the mission of VR, what you, what you aim to accomplish with this and what um, your goal is. Sure. Great, great question. So it so happens, and maybe this was after you were already involved with using VR. It was 2015 or 16 that I was at an event, a conference that's called Games um, Games for Health Europe, um, where they had been to it several times before because they were a partner of my conference, um, where they were always uh, giving opportunities to participants besides the lectures that were taking place to try out these what were called serious games. And so meaning that they had an educational value in, in healthcare, like maybe you would throw darts at something and this would teach you better coordination or it might teach you that those particular objects are, are not good nu- nutritional value, whatever it is. So 
Somebody said, here, try this on. And there were two stands, one next to the other with headsets. And these were the days when the headset was still connected to the computer. And the first one that I tried on, I was suddenly in a glass elevator. And um, if I would move my head, the faster I would move my head up and down, the faster the elevator would go. And then I could turn the swivel left and right and see behind me. And I thought, this is just fantastic. Um, and the second thing was uh, one for lazy. So that first one was to cure you of a fear of heights or get or elevators or something. I, I have neither, but I could see how that would work. And then there was one where you used your eyes with the eye tracking to shoot down stars. And this was for treating people who might have, let's say, lazy eye, you know, not using both eyes. And so it would measure, well, whatever it is that you're supposed to do, if you're 100 percent OK, and then through exercises lead you to it. So it, it always is that way. When you speak with people about VR for health, it's their first experience with that headset that changes their life for them. Once they've done that, they want to go out there and see it happen. So I had that desire, but I was busy with basal strategies and I got invited by um, Cedar sinai to a big conference um, to um, manage a, the patient panel with patients who had experience using VR. So there was, um, for example, a, a person who had um, cerebral palsy, was very rigid and working out with VR enabled him to relax, to, to get some of that rigidity out. There was somebody who'd had an awful, like triple fracture that was very painful. So acute pain, and it was very helpful to him. There was another guy with con um, chronic pain that he got from shrapnel and it was also very useful to him. So you had this, and then there was somebody else for irritable bowel, bowel syndrome, syndrome. So it, it uh, showed and, and all the patients were saying, you know, this works, get it out there, get it to us. And I concluded saying, you heard them help us. And as a result, a woman named Beth Savaldelli, who was in the audience, who'd come there for that purpose. She was a cured uh, cancer survivor, uh, breast cancer, who wished that she'd had uh, something like for mindfulness during her treatments. And she contacted me after the conference to say, heard what you said, let's do something together. So. Thank you, Beth. That is why we wound up getting to do VR for Health. Correct. And, and that's uh, actually quite interesting uh, because I've seen like VR uh, in health uh, for medical education for clinicians, right? I've, I've, I mean, personally, I've, I mean, I've done surgeries using like VR. We actually play with tumors and you actually educate yourself around it, right? So you could train clinicians on this piece. You could train, uh, you could use that as, as a therapeutic kind of piece of patients, for, for example, like other examples you use, for example, uh, so this is a gamification aspect of it. But then it takes it into this new world of the metaverse, um, right? Uh, and it's, it's much bigger than just the idea of someone has in like an Oculus in the mm -hmm. head and walking around with it, right? So if you go into this virtual world and I, I, I see a world in the future where we could do virtual therapies, uh, right? So if you imagine uh, like Second Life, and I, I know you you do a health 2.0 kind of yes, conference. I, I used to go on Second Life. You did? Who were you in Second Life? Because I found out about Second I was, Life. And I, was, I was jumping around. I All I remember is that I had this cool jacket and pants, uh, probably purple or something, and that I was jumping around. I didn't stay on it too long. Um, Don't worry. We, we would not judge you. Because you, right. you had an alter, <laughs> an alter ego uh, down in Second Life. And, and I look at Second Life, for example, and I – 
uh, several years ago, I, I was looking at this piece, but imagine a world where in the virtual world, the virtual reality world, where you have people mm-hmm. have therapy, right? Where you could be an alter ego piece and have like these group sessions to talk to other people, especially in today's world with mental health, uh, you know, being like a major kind of issue. Do you see yourself getting into that, into that world of mental health, uh, for example, or, I mean, so, so for your company VR, just to make it more specific, what do you do? Right. So you do develop therapies or what, 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 what do you produce? Well, you, the VR for health um, is answering a problem. Okay. The companies that you mentioned, the VR solutions companies, they've identified a particular medical problem and they create a solution for it. Correct. And the problem is how do we get from that to adoption? Because a small company doesn't have the means of, let's say, a pharmaceutical company launching a molecule with, with all of the millions that they can put behind it and their databases of professionals to contact and how you work with that. these companies have have none of that. So we wanted with Beth and myself to create a platform that would bring together all of the necessary parties. We're considering this is for decision makers. So it's for the solutions companies, for any other technology companies that can provide help with, with healthcare uses of VR. And then to bring in all the decision makers from the healthcare establishments, from patient networks, uh, so first, we're establishing the catalog, the offer. And we already see the other day we were speaking to a company that manufactures, let's say, an accessory that is involved in a surgery, which will create anxiety for the patient. And they were asking us, could you help us find um, a, a provider of the solutions, a technical provider that has quality? We don't know how to choose them. Um, can you tell us? whom we should contact to be able to offer to the doctors or surgeons that use our accessory something to help the patient. And that's exactly, we're, we're like right at the intersection of all of this. We draw people in through our communication and then we can match them up. That, that, and which is, which is highly needed. So um, if you're listening to this and you are in the VR space, uh, or you, you need uh, advice on marketing or strategies around that piece, please feel free to reach out you know, uh, to, to Denise and Beth if you was a VR for health, right? And I'm sure if you need uh, other strategy communication kind of strategies and healthcare piece, you can reach out to Denise uh, through that. That's uh, Basil Strategies uh, piece, right? Correct, and so correct. In, in, in yeah. the show notes, we'll have the contact info for Denise. Uh, so right now, what are the biggest challenges that you face um, and what does success look like for you in the next uh, six months? So the uh, the challenges are are different depending on uh, on each company. Um, Basil Strategies is is called upon to produce a lot of content um, and to support social media, and so the the challenge there is to is to ramp up, to scale up, uh, to be able to take on new projects. And uh, in VR for Health, it's to get out there um, and explain this to enough companies so that they can sign up. We, we do this ourselves, uh, Beth and myself, rather than having um, like, like a student or a, a, some a younger uh, person new to the career uh, in there because we really want them to feel our why and also because we're self-funded. So we need to ramp this up as fast as possible in order to be able to then complete the team. That, that's fantastic. Uh, I'm a big supporter of, uh, I think VR has a, a huge 
role to play in the future of healthcare. Uh, and this is not like future technologies from 10 years ago, that uh, 10 years from now, these this technologies exist today. So these are things that we could use today. Um, they're available, <laughs> right? So we don't need to hang around and wait for some new development. I mean, of, of course, with time, it gets better, but this is available today. And that's something that I believe uh, Denise and Beth are very passionate about. So please, if you're listening, feel free uh, to support uh, Denise and Beth on this uh, beautiful journey. And we'd love to have you back again, Denise, um, you, you know, to uh, to see how that journey is going. Well, thank you so much, Manny. It's You're, you're an excellent interviewer. No, thank you very much. It was great having you. And uh, please uh, stay in touch. I don't be a stranger. Thank you very much for joining us today. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Bite the Orange. If you want to change healthcare with us, please contact us at info at emmanuelfobu.com or you can visit us at emmanuelfobu.com or bitetheorange.com. If you like this episode and want more information about us, you can also visit us at emmanuelfobu.com. 